Building a portfolio with Fidelity Basket Portfolios is kind of like making a sandwich. It's as simple as picking your stocks and ETFs, sort of like your meats and other topics, and managing it as one big, juicy investment. Mmm, now that's pretty good. Learn more at fidelity.com slash baskets. Investing involves risk, including risk of loss. Fidelity Brokerage Services, LLC. Member NYSC SIPC. I'm Alex Schwartz. I'm Nomi Fry. I'm Vincent Cunningham, and this is Critics at Large, a New Yorker podcast for the culturally curious. Each week, we're going to talk about a big idea that's showing up across the cultural landscape, and we'll trace it through all the mediums we love. Books, movies, television, music, art. And I always want to talk about celebrity gossip, too. Of course. We hope you'll join us for new episodes each Thursday. Follow Critics at Large today, wherever you get podcasts. He was robotic. Like, I always tell people that, but he was like a robot. And it wasn't just me who noticed that. Like, I would say 87% of the girls in the house thought Brad was a, a robot. Welcome to Here to Make Friends, a HuffPost podcast about the Bachelor franchise, where we lovingly snark on The Bachelor and Bachelor-adjacent shows. Whether you love The Bachelor or love to hate it, we're here to break down every single delicious moment with you. I'm Emma Gray. And I'm Claire Fallon. This week, we head back to a simpler time when we had a gentle painting war criminal as our president, rather than a megalomaniac authoritarian dictator who doesn't speak in coherent sentences. Yes, it's 2007, the era of sweetheart necklines, poorly structured empire ways, and of course, the most hated man in America, not George Bush, unbelievably, actually Brad Womack, the slow-talking, monotone, robotic, chiseled Texan who walked onto our TV screens and away with zero lady hearts, actually. He picked no one, the travesty. And this week on The Bachelor, the greatest seasons, M-Dash ever, exclamation point, <laughs> we dive into Brad's two seasons. That's right. Brad got two seasons because being a mediocre white man in America gets you very far, apparently. Yeah, especially in 2007. <laughs> and, um, and then again in 2010. Yeah. But uh, but before we talk all things Brad, it's time for our weekly calls to action. And this week, we will, of course, be focusing on Portland, Oregon, and the really brutal crackdown um, of the police state that's going on there. Um, so if you want to help the protesters who are dealing with this crackdown by federal forces, you know, we're seeing people being... Um, quote-unquote, arrested, put into unmarked vans, um, tear-gassed. Um, it's, it's really awful stuff. So remember to stay tuned in to the news, follow local organizations and mutual aid groups to see um, what you can do. Um, but specifically, we're recommending two organizations today. One is called Riot Ribs. It's a group that feeds people and protesters in Portland, um, and we will have the info to donate in our show notes. Um, it's just Riot Ribs on Venmo and on Cash App. So that one's pretty simple. Yeah. And also the Oregon Justice Center, which is fighting for criminal justice reform and providing legal services for people in need. 
The link will be in our show notes as well. That's ojrc.info slash donate um, to donate there. And thank you guys for, you know, staying on top of these. And, and of course, if there's anything that you feel like is really important for us to be highlighting, definitely shoot us an email and, and let us know. We are always, you know, excited to hear about um, new organizations that are doing great things. And now the the moment we've been waiting for, for an entire decade, our time to dive deep into the two seasons of Brad Womack, the quote sexiest bachelor ever, which like, I I don't agree. I had so many, so many thoughts about this. For one thing, I think it's very telling that back in 2007, um, they clearly weren't really casting bachelors for sexiness in a way that they went on to do. I think we've had several bachelors who we would now think of as the sexiest bachelor ever over Brad. Um, but, you know, we're working with like Alex Michelle's or working with Bob Guineas, like guys who are <laughs> funny or they have an MBA or they're an Italian prince. You know, it was just a different era of bachelors. Also, Brad might be like chiseled, but he doesn't have it, you know? He doesn't have that quality that He's makes like him a, sexy. Like a very chiseled wooden statue. Like like a sculptor has been working very hard on that statue, but it remains a slab of wood. That's it's Brad. watching him talk to the women on the show and Clearly, he's just not comfortable being a lead on TV because he's much less like this when we watch him doing his catch up on Zoom with Chris Harrison. He's so loosened up. He's so wooden that it's like he's a character being played by a very bad actor. (laughs) And so you watch and you're like, I get that he's handsome, but it's hard for me to imagine like women swooning over this guy who has so little charisma, like so little sex appeal. Like every time you talk to him, he's saying something like, I don't, I like you a lot. (laughs) It's very slow. I mean, but Claire, I think what we just don't quite understand is that Brad is just an everyday guy. And that's why he's the bachelor. Just an everyday guy who grew up very rich and then was less rich and now is rich again. You know, just an everyday guy. It's the classic riches to rags to riches story. Exactly. Um, and, you know, it's, it sounds like he had a really rough childhood. He, his parents split up and his mom and the kids were plunged into poverty from what was a quite well-off situation. His father really wasn't around. He keeps telling this story that sounds incredibly traumatizing about how his dad said he was going to come pick the boys up and take them out for a fun day. And instead they didn't hear from him again for, for years. Yeah. Um, I definitely don't mean to make light of, of his situation. (laughs) It definitely sounded genuinely very, very difficult. And I, I did honestly think it was interesting even to see the show directly acknowledge like changes in class or class at all, because it's one of those things that, you know, everyone 
on the show is at least usually given the veneer of being wealthy and mm-hmm. you don't often hear it acknowledged one way or the other. And so I, I actually thought that was kind of a good thing. Like we learned something real about Brad. Um, yeah, I like But unfortunately that. he went on to be like a wooden statue. So Well, and his takeaway, you know, was like, I learned that you've really just got to take care of yourself. So his takeaway was bootstrap it to success. He's like personal, um, responsibility personal responsibility is what I believe in. So, yeah. And that's I mean, what worked for him and his brothers who own bars together. This was like a really interesting episode for me because my first episode of the show that I ever watched was Brad Womack's second season. So I never got a first introduction to Brad. All I knew about him was that he had previously been on the show and not picked anyone and so this all this backstory was all pretty new to me. Me too. Um, Neither yeah. of us had watched this first season. So I do also want to preface um, our recap by saying that we did try to poke around a bit for more information, but like we weren't able to watch this first original season or read every recap. So, you know, just forgive us if we miss anything that you might feel was very key. Um, we, we haven't seen the season. I actually would love to see this season. It Whenever I get fun. a glimpse of a season I haven't seen, I'm, I'm gripped. Um, I agree. Which, so this was one of the more fun uh, points in this, this greatest hits season for me. Um, you know, this season brought us Deanna Pappas, who is a figure that I've been quite familiar with. She's super charming. And, of course, Christy Katzman. She, star she was not of, directly star of labor of love, star of labor of love. And this is just our roundabout way of being able to talk about labor of love. The most outlandish, most boring dating show. Um, currently, I guess just wrapping up on Fox in which Christy Katzman, spoiler alert, still searching for a partner, but actually a baby. And the show sounds like wild. Like the, in the first episode, the men have to jack off into cups and get their sperm count tested. Not pictured. Not pictured. But in <laughs> fact, it is like the most uh, even keeled and least exciting, like Southern comfort advertisement <laughs> dragged out into eight hours of television. I mean, it really is like a visit to the fertility clinic. It's like the weirdest stuff happens there, but it's all like completely papered over with like clinical aesthetic and 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 vibe, and everyone's acting very professional. <laughs> yeah, great, <laughs> great way Christy. to put it. Um, but yeah, this is the origin story of Christy Katzman. Yeah. We also we also get, you know, a, a lot of short strapless cocktail dresses. This was really like the prime of the Jessica McClintock era. And I really felt that in all of the outfits we saw. Oh, yeah. So many short strapless cocktail dresses. They're all either empire-waisted or drop-waisted, which I think are the most unflattering silhouettes. 100%. And I can't believe we lived through that. And I hope it never happens again. The hair is like flat ironed like flat as a pencil flat as a ruler everyone's hair has been side singed lots of side bangs yeah there were no like beachy waves happening yeah again you look back and you're like did we think this looked good at the time or was there a part of us that was like 
we're going to be glad when this is over. No, I think we thought it looked good. That's what's so disturbing. Yeah. I, I think more for me, it was a lot of being like, I look bad, but I assume it's me and not the billowing empire wasted elastic top dress oh, I'm yes. wearing. Oh, yes. 100%. 100%. I was like, I guess I just have to wear, you know, low hanging uh, sweetheart necklines for the rest of my life. It's too bad that, I, that I'm just hideous. Yeah. You know? That's just exactly. And the side bangs I fell prey to as well. It's just Same. a very dark period of my life. Yeah. And no one with my hair texture should ever have side bangs, just to be clear. Um, so we only really meet a, cu- a couple of the women. We only get the top two highlighted. I was disappointed because, like you, I hadn't seen this season I would have liked to know more about what happened other than his relationships with the two top women, but that is pretty much all we get. Um, the first woman who got dumped at the, at the proposal stand was Jenny. Um, and because she never became bachelorette, I wasn't familiar with her at all. Um, she's, she seemed awesome. Yeah. She's a Phoenix Suns dancer. She's super smiley, has a great laugh, which Brad comments on. He's like, you just make me smile all the time. Um, and they I have some like you. <laughs> I like this girl a lot. Um, then we see some some conversations between them, where it's clear that she's really emotionally invested, and she's really scared of his rejection. Um, they have a weird conversation where he's like, do you want to be the girl at the end? Which is like a, com- like, I can't imagine a bachelor asking that now. Like, well, do you want to be the girl at the end? And she says, well, I don't want to frame it that way. And he's like, why? <laughs> and she's like, cause this isn't like, for me, I don't consider this to be like a carnival game. I want you to fall in love with me. I want to be the girl that you fall in love with. And he's like, Okay. <laughs> Like every conversation he has, I'm like, what's going on in his brain? It's very unclear, which is why he's difficult to watch. Yeah. I Um, mean, and she tells him that she's in love with him and she, she seems almost like, I don't know if they were having a very emotional, long conversation or if she's had too much wine. She's like really having a hard time getting a handle on herself while she reads him her, I love you speech. And is like, I'm so scared. And it's funny watching these things later when you're like, these women's lives probably turned out way better after being rejected. Which we learned they did. Yeah. Um, You know, we then move on to Deanna and she's also extremely charming. Like I watching even just these clips of her, I was like, oh, it makes sense why they made her the bachelorette. She really is like prime bachelorette material. Um, She, you know, she's like the whole package. She's very confident and not super afraid of being rejected. Um, she's very clear with what she wants from Brad and the fact that she's in love with him. Like it all just seems kind of easy for her. Like she, she falls into being on television and expressing her emotions in like a bite-sized way very easily. And yeah, she, it makes sense why they made her bachelorette. Yeah. Like Jenny is very emotive and like, her anxiety really comes through in a way that like, she also is very charming and vivacious and that comes through. Oh, but yeah. like Deanna just seems cool, confident. She's like, I'm in love with you. <laughs> I am. And this was uh, also the, um, I think the last season in which 
the final people were not styled by production on the last day. And you just, you know, re-remember that it's such an indignity to make these women, you know, dress themselves up for public humiliation in like a poorly styled, like a rose bush, like a stage in a yeah. like weird the maze is, of roses. The proposal is in sort of, I'm, I'm not sure where the finale was filmed, but it looks like sort of an English garden of some yeah. sort. There's like, yeah, a little elevated pedestal in the middle, but they're surrounded by like hedges. And um, it's not kind of the dramatic vista that we usually get now for a proposal. No. And, and they're the both just are, wearing these awful, again, strapless cocktail dresses. Strap mini dresses even. Oh, like yes, the, the, above the knee. It's that exact style of the empire-waisted strapless mini dress that looks, it really has the dignity of wearing a towel wrapped around your boobs because it's the same length. It has the same sort of fit and it has the same security. Like they're constantly tugging at it. And it made me think about how much strapless dress technology as available to the masses like ourselves has improved in the last decade or so. Much better boning for the masses. Like at one point, he steps away from Diana in the middle of what appears to be a proposal, leaving her there to wait. And she has to tug up her dress. Like in that Again, moment, as America is watching you about to find out that you're getting dumped, you have to tug up your dress. So Jenny, of course, gets rejected first. You know, Brad is like, I'm standing here and looking at someone that does bring out such a different side to me. And I hate to say this, but I want something more I can't find with us. I never thought I'd tell you goodbye. I truly didn't. And here I am telling you goodbye. Brad is always having to tell people goodbye. And that's a a theme that you'll see. Um, It's difficult to talk about the way that Brad speaks without sounding like we're making fun of his accent, which we are not. And I feel especially conscious of that because in the first episode, I guess one of the women asked him if he has a farm because he has a Southern accent and he's like, excuse me. (laughs) Um, But like the way he talks, it's not his accent. It's just very robotic. It's the monotone and the slowness of it. Yeah, it's it's very, and then you've noticed that he's repeating these same lines. Like, I have to tell you goodbye. He has like um, breakup catchphrases. Oh yeah, he starts both of, uh, in 2007, he starts both of his speeches the same way, which is like, you're not like anyone I've ever met before or something. And then again, in 2011, he starts both of his speeches the same way with, I think he says, oh, name of woman, where do I begin? <laughs> Which is like, one of them is a proposal, one of them is a dumping. So like, maybe it doesn't you should begin matter, in though, different apparently. places. <laughs> um, so he, he dumps poor Jenny, who just crumbles. Um, and she's like, I'm embarrassed that I told you that I loved you. And he's like, why would you be embarrassed by that? Um, showing just classic empathy. <laughs> Um, And then it's time for something that he says will be even harder, which is uh, you would imagine proposing, but instead it is also dumping Deanna. Um, And so he begins in the cruelest way, as we've discussed on the show in the past, by telling Deanna that he just said goodbye to Jenny. 
and telling her that he shares her values about marriage. So she's like, I'm getting proposed to. You see her face light up a little bit. And then he starts like tugging at his collar, looking around. Finally, he dismounts from the the podium, the stone podium, and just sort of lumbers around the garden, which is like, you really feel in that moment how enclosed it is. Like he's like behind a hedge. Like and also she is left mind. to stand alone on a literal pedestal. Right. Like she's up on a pedestal being watched while he's like lumbering over in the corner behind a hedge. And she's like, I thought I was getting engaged, but it seems now like maybe not. And finally he comes back to do the part where he informs her that they're not getting engaged. I have to tell you goodbye. He has to. He has to. He can't look her in the eye and tell her that he loves loves her. her. He just can't. Um, And they have this sort of confusing conversation where he's like, I have so many feelings for you, but I can't tell you that I love you. And she's like, so are we friends? And he's like, no, but also not in love with you. But I do have a lot of feelings of a quality that I cannot put a name to. And he's like, don't you know how much I care about you? And she's like, no, literally I don't because you just said you don't want to be with me. You're fine with letting me go and we're not friends. So like, I actually don't, <laughs> I'm unclear on the caring and, and where that really fits in. Yeah, um, it's rough to watch. And, you know, I watched the second season without having really seen this, but I sympathize with Brad. Like, me too. That, he, he was the guy who did the thing where you don't pick anyone. And what he learned and what every bachelor now knows is that you have to pick someone because America will not forgive you lightly. You will have to do the show again and pick <laughs> someone this time before you're ever freed. And, uh, and it does it's, in a way seem quite genuine to me to be like, I'm not ready to actually commit to either of these women. I feel the same about both of them. And maybe that's not a good sign. Um, I'm not in love with either of them. Maybe I should just say no. It's a weird thing because on rewatch, like I, I agree with what you're saying. Like the actual action he took, which is picking no one, I think is a practical one. And I kind of applaud him for it, but his form was left me, you know, feeling that it was lacking. Yeah. Yeah. What I found to be so absurd was like the way that he dragged it out and the way that he sort of toyed with especially Deanna's uh, emotions during the proposal. I was like, this is unnecessarily cruel to yourself and to her. Um, And I think that's what made it come off so badly, even though I do think it's better to choose no one if you don't want to be with either of them. Yeah. And I think, you know, we get a little more context on why there was so much upset around it that um, that comes more directly from Deanna and her catch-up. So we do get a check-in with Jenny and Deanna together. They're both great. They have a lot of kids now. Um, I like I their, like, kids are great. Yeah, they're, they're very happy with how their lives have gone, it seems like. And, you know, Jenny says she left thinking he'd chosen Deanna, and she was like, great, um, good choice. And Deanna says that Brad had said to her on a previous date that she was very, she said she was very nervous about proposal day. And he said, don't worry, it's going to be a good day. 
And so Chris Harrison then during Brad's check-in is like, what was the deal with that? And Brad was like, I don't know why I said that. He's like, I don't know, man. I said that and I shouldn't have said that. I mean, just why would you say that? Like, it's just, that's the, that's where you get into trouble with these things is like, you can do something that seems very smart and justified, but it's like, if you hadn't been such a people pleaser up to that point, uh, maybe it wouldn't have seemed like such a psycho thing to do. Right. Um, Um, But, you know, one thing that does come out of Brad's apparently like brutal time on The Bachelor, you know, he says he like developed panic attacks and you know, was like cursed out in public multiple times, just like awful. And so he ended up going into therapy, which is fantastic. And it seems like maybe his therapist should have advised him not to go on the show again. But instead, apparently the point of therapy is so that he realizes how terrible he was for not choosing any women the first time. And so he needs to do it again. That's what therapy teaches you. You, you fall back, you fall off the horse, you get right back on, you know? Exactly. Um, and he tells Chris, and Brad, by the way, is sporting a sort of rectangular shaped quarantine beard. That, it's a very rectangular shaped. I liked it. I wished he had had it on the show. Like, I wouldn't like it on everyone, but for him, it's the way I prefer to see him. Um, and I, I wish that he had had it when he was The Bachelor. I but mean, you know, it's good to see some literal growth. Exactly. And he tells Chris, you know, I was terrified. I was terrified to be bachelor the second time, but you know, it's a great way to find love, which of course it it isn't a particularly good way to find love. You know, it's no like a one shoot way to find love. At that point, I think the only person in the bachelor franchise who had married someone they met on the show was Trista. Trista. Um, still a pretty bad track record, but I got to say, I think you, that if what you want is not to go on TV and to find a partner, you're better off just dating. And it seems like probably he wanted to go on TV again for reasons that I can't discern, but Which, like, that's fair fine. enough. Just like, you know, I admit it, admit <laughs> it to yourself. Like you could have just dated, which is but, what he's doing now as we'll yeah. find out later. But you know, Brad, uh, and his therapist are back three years later. And, you know, the women who, who roll up to the bachelor mansion seem to most of them, or at least some of them not really know that the bachelor is going to be Brad. Yeah. I think that the show didn't tell them clearly because some of them get out and seem truly surprised. Like maybe he had been floated as an option, but no one had been like, it's Brad. Um, but I think as Ashley Spivey tells us that it had been spoiled. So some women had probably seen the spoiler um, prior to filming as she did. But um, yeah, we see a lot of surprise, a lot of women being like, oh my God, Brad Womack. So the only thing a lot of them know about him is that he didn't pick anyone last season and it becomes the theme of night one. Um, Chantal, one of the eventual front runners, actually says... She has something for him from every woman in America and she slaps him in the face. Yeah, you know, there's nothing more adorable than physical violence upon first meeting. <gasps> I remember liking it at the time, which just goes to show you how how long it's been. Um, Look, Claire, we're, we all grow up in, in a 
culture of misogyny. So forgive me. In yourself. her check-in, in her check-in, she says that she actually meant it to be like playful. Very light. And she was so nervous that she actually connected really hard and everyone was like kind of shocked. Um, <laughs> oh. which I get because like yeah, she seems I like she's trying to be too. playful. And then you hear it just like this like crack like, and you're like, oh my God. smack. <laughs> um but he's he tries to play this, you know, he's like, well, I like you better already, like really putting me in my place. Um but she does end up being one of his his top two. Um, a lot of blondes. Oh, yes, just a very diverse cross section of blondes across uh, both of his seasons. You know, he actually it's, it's, seems into brunettes. We see a lot. He yeah. his top four across the two seasons. Are, but yeah, a lot of blondes, a lot of brunettes. Um, that's the diversity for the most part. Um, we got some great characters from this second season who who went on to be kind of big in Bachelor Nation. Ashley Hebert, who obviously went on to be the Bachelorette. Spivey, who is a great friend of the pod and a very important critical voice in Bachelor Nation. Michelle Money, who's just epic and was on um, Bachelor Pad after Bachelor. And Emily Maynard, who, you know, won one, quote unquote, Brad's season did not end up with Brad and then went on to be the bachelorette herself. So a a great showing from these women. Yeah. And they devote a lot more time to this season. Um, and a lot of time, you know, to, to some of the women who weren't in the top, the very top two. Yeah. So we, uh, we get to see more from people like, like Michelle, um, and Ashley, uh, we don't see much of some other key figures. We don't really see Spivey at all. Uh, we don't see Chantel, who was the mortician um, and one of the the top few. Yeah, they didn't even mention that she was a mortician. They did yeah. show her doing some like pretty impressive, you know, acrobatics, gymnastics type moves uh, during the action movie scene group date, which like I thought that was actually kind of a cool date. <laughs> Yeah. And, you know, she really sold it. I was like, oh, she's actually, she actually could be in an action movie. Yeah. I was like, these women are pretty good. I mean, the only issue I I had with it was that, like, it seemed like all of the uh, villains in the action movie they were uh, filming happened to be Asian. And then all of the heroes and heroines were white people. Uh, I suppose mostly. Because, yes, exactly. (laughs) They were from the cast of this show. And Brad's seasons were like, even more white than normal, which is truly an impressive feat. Yeah, it's it's pretty bad. Um, so that sort of brings us into Michelle's segment because Michelle uh, doesn't like that Chantel is really having chemistry with Brad during this date and that she's kissing him on camera. And so we, we slide right into the greatest hits of Michelle money, um, including when she woke up with a black eye and no one knows where it's from. <laughs> yeah, this is her. like still an unsolved mystery. Unsolved mysteries. They should do that on the next season. Um, she comes on really strong. She's one of those women who's like, you're my boyfriend. It's going to be you and me at the end. You know, you need to send these other girls home um, and then we can talk, you know, we can, you know, go practice making babies. Um, and it seems like that maybe rubs some of the women the wrong way. There's some remarks made about her, some remarks made by her. Um, but 
you know, it's mostly in ITMs though. Yeah. It's, it's, she's one of those villains that is mostly just seems like a very colorful character um, rather than engaged in like bullying or (laughs) ongoing, like actual conflict. Um, And since she went on to have a pretty friendly history with the show, they clearly um, have some awkwardness about the fact that they made her out to be quite a villain. Um, I found it pretty funny also. Like, normally they drive people around in the limo until they cry. Like, they do not let you leave the show without shedding some tears, even if they are just from exhaustion. And Michelle's exit is so epic. She just, like, doesn't really talk to Brad when he sends her home, then gets into the limo and just fully lays down in the back of the limo and says nothing. I loved it. (laughs) Also, Michelle turned 38 during filming. And I think it's just so upsetting that Brad was like 38 and Michelle was like the older woman. Like you you look around this house and it's a lot of women in their 20s. And it's like, what we need is for him to date a woman who's really more on his level, like age-wise, a woman who's eight years younger than him. Yeah, I mean, she's basically, she's basically a cougar. Yeah, that I a, mean, cougar, a cougar is when a woman older than 27 dates anyone. Anyone, yeah, anyone, exactly. Regardless it doesn't matter. It's just she, you know, is like, I'm in my 30s and I think I deserve to be considered desirable and date a man. And it's like, well... Nah, let's nah, let's girl. dial that back for a minute. <laughs> uh, and then we catch up uh, on Ashley Hebert, um, her stint on the show. Brad likes this girl. He likes this girl a lot, as we hear. Um, what like- he doesn't like uh, <laughs> is her professional ambition because he thinks this might not leave enough room for him. Yeah, so she's a dental student at the time, I think. And so she's telling him how busy that keeps her. You know, she's basically in medical school or she's, I mean, she's in dental school. It's very intense. Um, And then, you know, becoming a dentist was going to be very intense. And Brad is sort of saying like, oh, well, when I was in my 20s, (laughs) below this many years ago, I, I was also really consumed by work, but I'm in like, I'm in a different stage of my life now. I want to take things easy a little bit more. I want to maybe start a family. I don't know where I would fit into your life where you're like a young go-getter student, um, which does seem kind of funny in light of the fact that Ashley has now been married for a while and has kids and Brad has stayed sort of focused more on his career, it seems like. Um, but, you know, he he does he was very concerned at the time with like whether someone in her stage of life could fit into his and and yet picked you know another another very young woman Um, He, he also utilizes his signature line in this breakup i need to tell you goodbye yeah he's listen he he doesn't choose to say goodbye. He needs, he needs to. to. It's a need. Someone is making him and he can't say who it is. <laughs> um, and so we do uh, then get to the top two, um, which is Chantel and Emily Maynard, of course. Uh, who doesn't know Emily? Um, but Chantel, like, 
apparently was supposed to be the bachelorette, which I had not realized. Um, yeah. I didn't know that either. Yeah. But, but she instead kind of disappeared from bachelor world. I hadn't thought about her in years. Um, they had a very appealing dynamic. I thought like Brad is so wooden and Chantal had enough, I feel like fun and bounce and energy for both of them. Like she brought a vibe of like normalcy and like they were just in a relationship. There were jokes, there was banter. It felt spontaneous. Um, And he seems to feed into that. Like on one of their like last chance date, I think she says like, oh, forget about the proposal. Let's just run away and get married. And he's like, yeah, sure, totally. Yeah, I'm going to dump you in two days. Yeah. Um, Yeah. And then we we see his progression with Emily, which we know that Emily is not fully like this because then she was bachelorette, but she is sort of cast as the gentle Southern belle. Um, Very delicate and ladylike and he wants to protect her. Um, She tells him about her first love uh, dying in a plane crash um, and uh, about her daughter that um, she discovered she was pregnant with after that crash. And, um, and he really responds to this. Like, he's like, I want to be a father figure to your child. He meets Ricky. He's like, I loved being in this family setting with her. She's so cute. Ricky's so cute. And a teenager now. I know. Oh my gosh. Um. Yeah. And when she says, she says, Brad, I'm falling in love with you. And he says, Emily, I want you to listen to very carefully to what I'm saying. I'm falling in love with you too. And it was one of those moments where I was like, he's trying carefully to, to, you know, catch it. (laughs) He just is trying to like amp up the drama a little bit and he just can't do it. It doesn't work. Like he then, cause then he's like, I said the line and he's like waiting for the reaction. And Emily's like, "Uh uh-huh. Like, yeah straightforward I don't you're falling in love with me too yes (laughs) um but she I mean she's in love with him he's in love with her Chantel also seems to be a lot of love there is he going to finally pick someone this time the answer is yes yes but because he doesn't want to incur all of America's wrath again again (laughs) um but first he has to dump Chantel Um, And in between the two seasons, clearly they get styling because now they're in full length gowns for proposal day, which I think is probably why Brad finally feels ready to propose. Because if you're not in a full length gown, if you're in one of these little towel style dresses, it's just not appropriate. You don't look proposable, in my opinion. You know, you've got to be full glam to be proposed to. Um, Those are just the rules. We don't. Those are the rules. Um. And I thought that Chantal looked gorgeous. Um, she did. Even even with the feathers on her the dress. The feathers were just maybe controversial. Look, I didn't love the feathers, but <laughs> I liked the full lengthness and I think she's quite stunning. Yes. So it worked. And they both looked beautiful. Yeah. Oh, for sure. Um, lovely, lovely women. Um, and he tells her about how strong of a connection he feels to her and he doesn't know how to say it, but I have stronger feelings for someone else. And that's the end for Chantal, Um, which leads him up to the proposal to Emily, which he begins by 
saying just as he said to, to Chantal a few hours before. Oh, Emily, where do I begin? Um, uh, and apparently he begins by telling Emily that she's the one and she looks over the moon. Um, he does do a weird little pause halfway through that felt reminiscent of his dumping of Diana. So I'm sure everyone sort of and, like, like tugs at his collar. <laughs> gasped, but no, all it took was finding her. And he's like, you're the one M you're it. Unfortunately, yeah. um, they weren't each other's it, but they had yeah. a, a happy little beautiful proposal. Yeah. They had one of those, uh, one of those classic bachelor relationships that went bad pretty immediately um within like eight weeks i remember watching this after the final rose and i wish that they would show more than zero of after the final rose specials on this series because theirs was really remains notable to me even though it was the first one i saw and i've seen many since then like they are pretty open about how many relationship problems they've already had that they have been breaking up and getting back together um brad calls it volatile um emily sort of hints that he has anger problems she's like her brother asked me if i'd poked the bear yet and now i know what that means um sound great it doesn't sound great we don't revisit that but we do check in with a lot of the people that um that were featured um and you know they do both kind of speak to their breakup a little bit and Emily just sort of says, you know, I was 24. I didn't have the maturity yet to deal with proposal, the long distance with seeing what happened on the show. Um, And they just decided it wasn't going to work. And she's like, I have nothing bad to say about him. Um, And he texted me something nice when I got married. And, you know, that's great. That's nice. You know, it's been a decade. (laughs) Like, I think all of these people have really just moved on and then some. Uh, And so it just, I'm sure it it doesn't have that like emotional resonance in the way that, you know, it might have had had the breakups or been more recent Um, or the, you know, audience reaction. You know, we do get a check in with Michelle who has a really good sense of humor about, um, you know, the the villain edit that she got. Um, She kind of jokes like that she was just super obnoxious and she still cringes. Um, But you can just hear from her voice that and like from what other people who are on the season say that like she you know did make a lot of friends during the season overall um you know good came out of her being on the show and having a platform from it we also get a little bit of a check-in with her daughter who is also like a full teenager now um brielle and she gives a health update because at the, I guess, I think it was back in March, um, Brielle was in a really, really serious uh, skateboarding accident, like outside of their home. And she was in the hospital at the beginning of COVID. It was very scary. And now a few months later, incredibly, um, she is back home and making, making huge strides in her recovery. So it was really, it was really lovely to see both Michelle and Emily with their kids that like, had been discussed on the show and to see how, how much they've all grown and how, you know, well-adjusted everyone seems. Yeah. Yeah. And we hear from Chantal um, as well, who, like I mentioned, I did not know that she had been the bachelorette pick. And she says, you know, I ended up just going on a blind date before filming started. And I knew that I had met my husband 
So I just, there was no reason to go through with it. She's been married to that guy now for eight years and they have two kids. We didn't get to meet any of them, unfortunately, but she's But that's like be... a really good story. Yeah, I know. That actually made me happy because I remember sort of being like, oh, I sort of thought Chantal might be bachelorette. I wonder what happened, but never looking into it. And it's nice to hear that, that she's doing well and that she didn't go on because she found a, a better way to find a partner. Um, and uh, I'm, I'm just, it, it is really nice to get a check-in far enough out where you see how people's lives have, how they've been able to leave the bachelor in the right. dust a little bit. And then bit. obviously as a result, you know, Ashley became bachelorette and she actually did meet her husband, JP, on the show. So yeah. all's, all's well that ends well. And that's sort of the you know, I think what both Emily and Brad kind of expressed, you know, Emily is married, has three more children. Um, Brad has a girlfriend, which is, he seems very excited about. He met her at the gym and snagged her the day she broke up with her boyfriend. It was really nice to see um, that he's found, that he's found his person. And it was interesting also hearing his perspective on the Emily breakup um, because he, it seems like he was maybe more torn up about it than Emily was. And he says, you know, it was really hard to have her then be the bachelorette. Um, he says he called her a bunch of times after they broke up and she didn't answer. And he's like, but then I heard she had a boyfriend. So I stopped because I respect boundaries, <laughs> her boyfriend's boundaries, to be clear. Um, but not hers. Yeah, Her boundaries but, are not important here. But it is always, it always gives me a little happy place in my heart to see that these people go on to have lives after the show that are fulfilling. Um, and next week we're going to watch Allie's season, which I have never watched. So. I haven't either. I've seen clips, but I'm actually excited for this one. Yeah, me too. I mean, I've, yeah, I've definitely seen some of the the top highlights, but I'm excited to to see Get the, into it. the tattoo a uh, bit oh uh, yeah garden Casey. protect yeah um a lot of a lot of a lot of series highlights uh up here in alley season so it's gonna be a good one We're going to take a quick break, but when we get back, we'll chat with Ashley Spivey about her season of The Bachelor and get into what responsibility white Bachelor alums and fans have in reckoning with the show's very, very intense whiteness. If you want to bring coziness into your life, uh, and I mean, who doesn't? (laughs) Turn to Barefoot Dreams, especially right now, because the brand is celebrating their 30th anniversary. With those 30 years of coziness, Barefoot Dreams celebrates being the originators of everyone's favorite Lux home blanket. There's a reason why Barefoot Dreams has been on Oprah's favorite things list six times. Dressing head to toe in Barefoot Dreams is the key to comfort as their collection of ultra soft robes, loungewear, and accessories are made with premium materials. And their products make the perfect gifts too. I would certainly love to be given something from Barefoot Dreams. I just acquired the robe and it is like the softest robe I have ever put on my body. It's so cozy. It's so warm. It's beautiful. It has a nice drape and weight to it. 
I wear it whenever I have the opportunity. I just want to wear it constantly. And I think everyone should have that kind of comfort and coziness in their lives. For Love to See It with Emma and Claire listeners, you can get 15% off of your first purchase at barefootdreams.com with the code LTSI15. Don't miss out on Barefoot Dreams' soft, soothing fabrics that will bring luxury to your life. Okay, so you got engaged. Congrats. Now you may be wondering what comes next. If you're planning a wedding, the first thing you need to know about is Zola. With Zola, you can plan your entire wedding in one convenient place. From the day you get engaged and search for the venue to the day you send out your save the dates, make your registry, and even taste your cake. Zola has literally everything you need to make the whole process super easy and actually even enjoyable. There's even a five-star app that helps you plan on the go or, you know, from your couch, which is certainly how, uh, if I was planning a wedding, I would definitely want to do it as loungily as possible. <laughs> so important. I also just know myself. I, I know that planning any kind of event, like even a birthday party can get very stressful. And so it's been really cool to see friends use Zola. It really seems to make everything a lot less stressful. And as a frequent wedding attender, I love to be able to hop on that Zola registry and just purchase a gift. Easy peasy. I know I've done it. I won't forget. Thank you, Zola. Yeah, everything's all in the same place. It's perfect. Start planning at Zola.com. That's Z-O-L-A.com. I am so glad that it's finally warming up. And it also means that I just want to have fun this summer and I don't want to be worrying about meal prep. And luckily... I can do something about that with Factor, especially because they have so many meal options like Protein Plus, Keto, Vegetarian, something for every diet. Their fresh, never frozen meals are ready to eat in just two minutes. So no matter how busy you are, you'll always have time to enjoy nutritious, great tasting meals. With 35 different meals and more than 60 add-ons to choose from every single week, you'll always have new flavors to explore. Make your whole day delicious. From breakfast to dessert, stay fueled with easy, nutritious options. I love having a few factor meals just sitting in my fridge, especially because I work from home. It's so nice to finish up a taping and not have to figure out what to cook myself. Just look in my fridge and be like, oh, in two minutes, I can be eating mushroom chicken thighs and wild rice or tomato basil chicken risotto or Santa Fe style green chili beef skillet. And they always have a nice like vegetable side. It feels well balanced. I feel full after and it's not a headache at all. Head to factormeals.com slash LTSI 50 and use code LTSI 50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month. That's code LTSI 50 at factormeals.com slash LTSI 50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month while your subscription is active. Article believes in delightful design for every home. And thanks to their online-only model, they have some pretty delightful prices, too. Their curated assortment of mid-century modern, coastal, high Tyler Cameron, industrial, Scandi, and boho designs makes furniture shopping simple. Plus, they're dedicated to really thoughtful craftsmanship that honestly stands the test of time and looks good doing it. Article offers fast, affordable shipping across the U.S. and Canada. Plus, they won't leave you waiting around. You pick the delivery time and they'll send you updates every step of the way. I have long been an article girly, like every room of my house 
my house, my apartment. <laughs> you can see article furniture in. Most recently, we updated our balcony, you know, just in time. It's finally balcony season yes. again, finally warming up in New York. And I have been out there with my coffee, sitting in the toady beach sand dining chair, which is a great little lounger for a small space. Again, New York City apartment. And uh, it just really like elevates our deck. That and the ottoman we bought to go with it. So comfortable, so chic. Also can withstand a whole lot of rain. So important. Article is offering our listeners $50 off your first purchase of $100 or more. They're having their Memorial Day sale from May 13th to May 27th, which would be the perfect time to use your store credit on top of sale prices. To claim, visit article.com slash LTSI and the discount will be automatically applied at checkout. That's article.com slash LTSI for $50 off your first purchase of $100 or more. One in five Americans have learned a new language on their bucket list, as they should, because it's very important. If that's you, then make this year the year you finally check it off your list with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts to help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Wow, that is really fast. Their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Plus, all of Babbel's 14 award-winning link Plus, all of Babbel's 14 award-winning language courses are backed by their 20-day money-back guarantee. I personally used Babbel before I headed off to Paris for 3 weeks and it was so helpful just kind of giving me back the basic understanding of French, allowing me to interact with people in restaurants, in shops, and, you know, just not make a total fool of myself when in a foreign country. Here's a special limited time deal for our listeners. Right now, get 60% off your Babbel subscription, but only for our listeners at babbel.com slash LTSI. Get up to 60% off at babbel.com slash LTSI. Spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash LTSI. Rules and restrictions may apply. And now back to the show. It's time for our interview with Ashley Spivey. Ashley has been a vocal part of Bachelor Nation for so long that it's almost hard to remember where it all began, which was her time as a contestant on Brad Womack's second season of The Bachelor. This was a pre-diversity lawsuit time, and the cast was blindingly white. Ashley is now better known for her consistent critique of how the show handles race, and misogyny. So we wanted to dig back into that season with her and find out what she thought of the show at the time and how she came to be such a public critic of it. Last night, um, we revisited Brad Womack's two seasons as The Bachelor for The Bachelor, The Greatest Seasons Ever. Um, Ashley, did you watch last night's special? I did watch. Um, I was watching, not thinking that I was going to see myself, uh, but I wanted to see more about his first season because I didn't watch his first season and I love Deanna so much. 
And I really felt like they did not devote enough time to his first season at all. Like what, what was the point of that? (laughs) We felt the same way. Neither of us watched that season and we were like, yes, great new material. And then they really only gave us a little snippets on the top too. Yeah. They were wrapping up the first season and I looked at the, the time and it was only like a quarter of the way through the show. That was disappointing. And there's so many interesting things I think that have happened on that first season that I I only know about because I've read recaps or I've heard of things that like went on. Like, why wouldn't they show that they tried to trick the women with his twin brother, Chad? What? Yes. That's something that actually happened on that first season. They definitely should have shown that. That's insane. Yeah, they didn't even mention his twin brother. Very important context for his whole arc as Bachelor. That's very disappointing. Um, Yeah, like we didn't have much context not having watched it on what was left out. So I was like, I don't even know what we're missing. Most things things were seen missing. Apparently some good stuff. I also um, was disappointed they left out that he had a therapist the entire time during the second season. So instead of him talking with Chris Harrison, he would talk with the therapist. And why was that left out? <laughs> yeah, I, I'm beca- it was the first season I watched. So I sort of thought it was just standard for a bachelor to have ongoing therapy sessions. But it, I guess it was just to show that he was really working on his commitment issues. I mean, there are some other people who have appeared on this show that I think could use some therapy. (laughs) I mean, most most of us. Most Most of us. us. Yeah. No, I don't say that as a pejorative. (laughs) You know that I love therapy and think everyone should have it. But like the fact that they thought it was this thing they needed to trot out just to prove that he could propose to someone is very... Just saying, I think there have been worse uh, sins that perhaps need to be rehabbed. (laughs) through therapy on this show I was also just kind of reminded that people are willing to overlook so many things about Brad that were red flags just because he's handsome like they kept on talking about how he was like the hottest bachelor ever last night when he's I would say the most unsuccessful bachelor ever because he didn't wind up married from the show twice um, he didn't end up even with a girlfriend for how long, 10 years after the show. So but, obviously the therapist did not help. Um, but he was know. very sexy. Yes. So let's just, was forget. he, there were people last night who were like, let's give him a third season. That's just, what? <laughs> I, I don't understand. I, I was like, wow, the bar is very low for uh, white men who conform to certain standards of, of masculinity and beauty because like there he's just had such a lack of charisma. Like th- it was almost startling. I will say, I wish that he had had the beard that he has now when he was the bachelor, but like, we can't Agreed. go back in time. It's too late now. We just have to live with the seasons we got. You don't think he kind of looked like Dan Blazarian? I, oh my God, he kind of did. <laughs> I could not get over it. I still think it's an upgrade. He just has very large, like he's very broad. It's just all of these markers of things that I'm like, I understand that people find this attractive, but 
I don't understand it. I, I don't know. Listen, like, we have many feelings. We all have a lot of feelings about Brad and how sexy he is, but I think we should really dig into <laughs> to what we are here to talk about, which is Ashley, your, your experience um, on Brad's season. With Brad. With Brad, um, pre-beard. I mean, so you hadn't watched Brad's season. Had you watched any seasons of The Bachelor before you went on the show? Yes. I watched Jake Pavelka's season, which I really am disappointed that they haven't shown yet because I truly think it's one of the GOAT seasons. <laughs> it's a classic. Why haven't, I feel like they're picking seasons that I that I personally wouldn't. Like Jake well, seems like a no brainer. They're having to pick seasons that they, that ABC has the rights to. And some of these seasons have been licensed to other places by WB. So I think that's, that's the subtext of some As of these consumer, choices. I just want them to get it done. You know, I agree. get Jake season. So interesting that they don't have the rights to all the seasons we want to see. <laughs> <laughs> so, so going in um, to Brad season, like, what did you expect from the show? Um, what did you expect from Brad? Okay. So this is important. So I had seen Jake's season, and then I watched Ali Finitowski's season. And I was really into Chris Lambden, who made it to final two of Ali Finitowski's season. I was for sure that he was going to be The Bachelor. Everyone loved him. Um, even when I was going through casting, I was kind of assured that he was going to be The Bachelor. And I found out later that he just turned down ridiculous amounts of money because he really did not like being on the show. He didn't want to do it. And so they were kind of left scrambling at that point, which is why we got Brad. But I did not know who he was. Um, I thought it was going to be a younger guy. I was 26 at the time. I wasn't expecting to go on the show for a 38-year-old. Like, I did not want to date someone who was that much older than me at that point. I wasn't even really thinking about getting married. Not that I wasn't open to it but the thought of marrying a 38 year old was just not something I was into at the time <laughs> so did you realize pretty quickly that you were just like probably not a good fit for Brad yes um I think that we had a hard time relating to each other I did not get his sense of humor he did not get my sense of humor there was a lot about him that was just not goofy or fun loving it was, he was robotic. Like I always tell people that, but he was like a robot and it wasn't just me who noticed that. Like I would say 87% of the girls in the house thought Brad was a, a robot. Wow. <laughs> I mean, that is how he comes off. Yeah. That would be my reasons. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I am curious, like watching back the recap episode, it seemed like your season of women hadn't been informed that he was the bachelor until you got out of the limo. Was that the case? Did they give you guys any heads up on who the actual bachelor was before you just saw him with your own eyes? They did throw him out as a name when um, they were asking me who I'd be okay with being the bachelor. But I did not know who that was. I thought it was a country singer. Um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It sounds yeah. like a country singer name. <laughs> But when I was on the plane about to fly out to LA right before the show, Reality Steve spoiled it 
as I was sitting on the runway and my best friend called me and told me who it was. And she kind of gave me like a little backstory because I was like, I, I don't know who that is. <laughs> what was your, what was your feeling? Were, were you like, did that make you more nervous or were you just like, whatever, I'm here, I'm open to it? Well, she, my, my best friend was like, he's, he's really attractive, um, but he didn't pick anyone the first time around, but that didn't discourage me. Um, and then I also noticed that that was the theme of the night whenever we all showed up in the limo. So I was just like, I'm not going to talk about that just to make myself different. Um, which is why I think I ended up getting the first impression rise. Yeah. And then you ended up making it a fair way on, on the show. You ended up going on the two-on-one date with Ashley the other Ashley, Ashley H. Um, and you guys are pretty good friends, which is not how we usually see the two-on-one date breakdown. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, um, we were kind of known as the Ashleys in the house. Uh, production really tried to get people to talk badly about the Ashleys, but we were really good friends with everyone, um, except for there was like a little clique of people um, that would include Chantel, Chantel, Jackie, <laughs> and someone else, which is funny to me now because like I'm really good friends with Jackie now. Um, but that was just like the little clique that hung out together and did not like the Ashleys. <laughs> so the women sorted by name matching. Yes, kind of. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, so kind of what happened in Vegas, this is why I wish they would just show so much more. Um, we were all very bored in Vegas. I had never been there before, so I was kind of going crazy thinking that I wasn't going to get a date that week. And I convinced producers and some of the other girls um, to get tattoos. And they said the only way they would allow this is if we did it on camera and it had to have something to do with the show. So we all got matching rose tattoos at King Inc., which was like a legit place back in the day. Like I even think they had a show about that tattoo parlor or whatever. But so it was probably five or six of us. We all got these tattoos. They let us stay there. It turned into a club at night. So we partied. And then they took us to In-N-Out. We had the best night ever. And then um, the next day, we, we were told that I'm going on the two-on-one with my best friend in the house. <laughs> so I was like, here's the best moment ever on the show. And then here's also the worst news. Did you guys have a game plan going into it? We really didn't have a game plan. I actually tried to self-eliminate. Um, <sighs> I told producer, I don't, at this point, I knew I wasn't interested in him. And I knew that Ashley was really interested in him. So I was just like, if there's any way in hell that Brad would pick me, I don't want that on my conscience. Like, can I just go home? <laughs> Which little did I know, like, I didn't have to worry about that. Um, but yeah, I, I tried to self-eliminate. I actually had this like therapy session of a ITM with a lawn where he was just like, have you ever noticed that you always put other people before yourself in terms of 
just everything in your life. Like you never give yourself a chance. You go ahead and put other people like in front of you. So I, on the season, it showed me crying a lot and it all comes from that one idea. (laughs) That is like Um, masterful producing. Yeah. I mean, there's a reason Elon. (laughs) Yeah. Cause you're sitting there being like, I don't want to date this guy. And he's like, why don't you ever put yourself first? <laughs> and you're like, you're so oh, wait, that is accurate, but not in this situation at all. Cause I just don't like this dude. Yeah. Let yourself love him, Ashley. <laughs> <laughs> Give yourself that gift of a robot husband. <laughs> exactly. I wish they would do dedicate one episode to Alon and just like how masterful he was as a producer. Like he's truly the goat of this whole series. <laughs> Yeah, I think everyone would watch. Like, he's the the man behind the curtain. I feel like even casual fans of the show have to have, like, heard rumors of his his doings behind the scenes. I would love to know more. Um, but they'll probably never do that. Um, he'd have to, like, get caught in a room with a contestant. Um, so let's talk about Michelle Money. She got a lot of time on the episode last night. Um, and she was cast as the villain of the season. They did a tour of her greatest villainous hits. Um, but we noticed on Instagram that you were saying that she wasn't really the villain, that she was very well-liked and that there was another villain in the house um, that we didn't see as the villain. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yes. So while the show was airing, or even while we were filming the show, Michelle was never the villain. Sure, she would say some sarcastic things, um, but we all kind of just knew that was her sense of humor. And sometimes production could get you to say something about her, like whenever she got her black eye. I think I even made a comment where I was like, I wish I was the one who punched her. But like after that, I laughed. It's just to <laughs> cut that out. And sometimes you just sit in that room for long enough that you know they want you to say something. So you just say it just so you can get out of there. Um, the true villain in the house was Chantel. And the reason why they did not show her as the villain is because they thought she was going to be Bachelorette. Um, that's why she got such a great edit. But she was not nice to other girls in the house. She said the meanest things to other girls in the house. Like, I, I think I actually told production at one point that I thought, like, I would get in a fight with her. <laughs> but you, but you restrained Wait, yourself. Yeah. What kind of things did she say? Um, so, kind of the things that they showed Michelle saying, but, like, to the other girls, like, to their face. Like, saying, you're not ready for a husband. You're not mature. Um... I think there was one night where she was like a little drunk and she was just telling us that none of us were sexually experienced. Like she was, it was so wild. And after the show, I did talk to her. I think at that point I had even done like a little interview with her because I used to have a, an older blog. Um, and I think that environment was just bad for her. I don't yeah. think she does well in competition situations. And I think that maybe she's like a couple of friends type of girl. She's not a whole group of girl type of person. I don't know. Um, because she's she's very nice and she's kind. 
I just don't think that was the situation for her. Yeah, yeah, I can I can relate to that as a couple of friends kind of girl. <laughs> um, I doubt it would bring out my best side, but that's tr- it's true. Like I remember watching the season, and I don't remember really disliking Michelle, but I remember really liking Chantal and thinking she seemed really sweet. And it's funny how much they can manipulate the material that they get um, and interrogate people in the same way that like the police do it's like you can leave if you just sign this paper just admit it just say you're guilty yeah Yeah. and then Um, you can go what's funny is even last night they showed a short scene and they made it into a funny situation but it 100% was not because this is just her antagonizing another girl in the season if whenever they were walking in you could hear Chantel say to Allie Travis um, you're not ready to get married. And you can hear Allie Travis say, yes, I am. And then Chantel starts like bringing that bug around her. Like, this is what I'm saying. She was 100% that type of person in the house. And she was very close with production. Um, they would let her do things kind of that no other girls were getting to do. Like, her and Emily were not friends at all. Like they did not talk to each other at all. I just, it just really does show you what edits can do on that show. That's yeah, wild. it's whatever they choose to emphasize is what, you know, we the viewers are left with. And it's always, always good to remember that. Um, I want to pivot a little bit okay. from kind of the greatest hits of your season and sort of zoom out something that was very noticeable to us looking back on, you know, Brad's two seasons uh, was that the cast was extremely white, like almost entirely, you know, I don't want to, um, I don't want to define the way that anyone on the cast identifies and I don't know everyone's background, but like looking at the pictures of the composites, it looks very, very white. And I'm curious if that's something that you felt like explicitly aware of when you, when you first got on the show, or if it's something that you kind of thought about later on it's definitely something that we noticed the first night um and it's something that we talked about because I could tell you there was one girl on our season who she was half Mexican so that's the only reason I know that is because we were talking about how there was no diversity on our cast um yeah it it was a little disturbing (laughs) um and I think that we all kind of recognize too that this was something Brad had asked for. And I thought that made him look less attractive in my eyes because even just watching the two previous seasons um, with Jake and Allie, I noticed it wasn't as white as his season. So it's something yeah. girls in the house yeah. recognize too. So when you guys walked in and you looked around at each other that first night, you started saying to each other, like, it's weird that he doesn't seem to want to date any women of color at all. Wow. That's interesting. Cause often like, it seems like contestants don't really talk about race in the house, but I guess when it's just so stark. clear and stark, um, it's hard not to, not to look at it directly. Did you, do you know if anyone brought it up with Brad at all? 
I don't know if anyone brought it up with Brad. One thing that we kind of did talk about, though, that was related to that is we talked about politics a lot in the house. Um, so we kind of figured out that Brad didn't seem like someone who would have voted for Obama, and a lot of us had. <laughs> <laughs> that is very interesting. Yeah. <laughs> Sometimes yeah. I wonder, though, if it was just because, like, I was in the house and I love having those <laughs> It might, it might've been you, Yeah. <laughs> but did, did you, and no one broached that with Brad either that you know of? Not that I know of. I know that I didn't even bring it up on the date yeah. because it just seemed very obvious, um, mm-hmm. which side he was on. <laughs> <laughs> what about like with production? Did you guys talk with production at all about casting, um, or that sort of thing when you noticed like the extent of the lack of diversity? No, I don't remember talking about that with production. I will say that I did notice that in terms of producers, um, there was a little bit more diversity there. Um, So that's why I think I was also just confused that it wasn't reflected in the cast. Yeah. And it's, that's very interesting. And it's, I mean, definitely watching clips of Brad's first season, it seems like that was the whiteness, the overwhelming whiteness was the case on that season as well. Yeah. I Um, think there was only one black woman. I believe she was sent home night, night one (laughs) from my little, little research. You know, how has your understanding of the entrenched whiteness of The Bachelor kind of shifted over time? Um, I think because it was so obvious to me from my season that it was something that I wanted to call out in seasons after that. Um, And whenever it didn't seem like they were making any progress, um, that's why I was always calling for a person of color to be the lead. Um, I want to say, I mean, their answer to that was Juan Pablo, which I was always like that. I mean, he looks white. (laughs) You know what I mean? Um, But then I was hoping with Rachel that it would get better. Um, Then of course they cast Lee on her season. And then um, they kind of used that as, a reason why they didn't cast diverse leads because then it hurt their numbers. But I mean, it was obvious that bachelorettes after that didn't get high numbers as well. So I just think that's a bachelorette problem. Is, is race something that you found yourself discussing after you were on the show with other bachelor alums, like specifically with other white bachelor alums? Yes. Um, I think that's something that I always try to bring up to other people within the franchise, just because I kind of felt like at that point that if enough of us were talking about it or tweeting about it or putting it on Instagram, maybe that would help pressure ABC or um, who produces the Bachelor franchise. But I don't know that that always made a difference because I think a lot of contestants didn't want to say something about it because they felt like they were biting the hand that feeds them. Yeah. And I mean, it's been 
around the same amount of time since you really got involved with Bachelor Nation and since they faced that lawsuit, which was, I think, a year after Brad's season aired. Um, and since then, there have been contestants like yourself and Rachel speaking out. Um, there was a lawsuit. You know, there has been uh, a lot of reasons to uh, incre increase diversity on the show. Um, and yet, as you note, they still have had this very rocky um, approach to it. Um, they've delayed taking a lot of steps, like having a Black bachelor. Um, having seen how that's played out, um, you know, does it change how you feel about continuing to be involved at all and even commenting on the show um, and being like sort of publicly affiliated with it? How do you think as, as time goes on about the value of continuing to have this conversation with The Bachelor when they've been so slow and resistant to change? So I, I actually made a statement that I would not continue to watch The Bachelor any longer if they didn't pick a Black Bachelor this time. Um, and now I've kind of amended that to say, if they do not handle this correctly, um, if, if they don't change diversity in production, if they don't have a certain number of diverse contestants on Matt James' season, um, if they don't push more size inclusion as well, I, I don't think I can continue to support the show. Um, I, I don't see my values being reflected in the show at all. And I've been criticizing it for long enough that at this point, I feel like if things aren't going to change, why, why do I stick with the show? So um, I, I also really feel like with these GO episodes, they're missing an opportunity to kind of point out the things that they've done wrong and try to fix them. Like, how amazing would it have been for them to point out that Brad's season was so white and for them to say, but we're going to do better. Just that simple statement and them acknowledging that they've done this for so long and want to do better would make the audience feel better about supporting them. But it's just like, they keep on blaming things on the audience that was one thing I really didn't like with what they were saying to Michelle last night. They were taking no, taking no role in how the public perceived her. Like they gave people tequila and encouraged them to attack her so that they could go on bachelor pad. Um, but like they did that. They made Michelle the villain. Like why couldn't they just say, you know, we're sorry that we gave you that edit. I just, I don't know. Yeah. I mean, they've yeah. had this interesting approach to handling their mistakes, which is like, if it's a person they treated badly, who they made a villain, who then became kind of beloved within Bachelor Nation and is no longer considered a villain, then they're like, how can we include them in this in a way that avoids our role, that avoids our own responsibility, but but still looks sort of like a gesture so yeah. let's have Michelle on and say, oh, we're sorry people were so mean to you. You didn't deserve that. Um, and it looks like harmony is restored, but you never acknowledged your role in, in 
her having that horrible experience. Yeah, and they've and it, done that in previous uh, episodes as well. With Olivia, it felt like they were doing that that similar dance. Um, sort of like people just came to the conclusion that you were bad. Right. They just can't. And, and times have changed. So Michelle, you would have been perceived differently now. And I thought that was very interesting. Like almost... Chris trying to say the audience wasn't feminist enough then and and now they are so they like a strong woman and just completely yeah. ignoring the fact that as you said the show made a, a choice to highlight certain things made a choice to create conflict surrounding Michelle um, and and I agree that the same responsibility needs to be taken when it comes to the racism that you know, contestants of color face when they're on and come off the show and, and also in terms of casting and who they choose to to lift up as the kind of heroes and heroines of each season. Um, and there I is mean, this history of like Mike Fleiss, for example, saying that the audience of the show is is racist and like that's, a, that's just too bad, um, frankly. And like, of course, like this is America. There are a lot of us out there who have um, been raised in racism and who carry it within us. And unless we're very actively fighting against it, it's very hard um, to not manifest that in things like how we view people who are public figures, but also like the show shapes narratives that contribute to racism against members of the cast. And the show um is run is is sort of owned by Mike Fleiss like he owns that and he doesn't want to take responsibility and neither does Chris Harrison or ABC no one there wants to say we're part of shaping these narratives that perpetuate racism they just want to be like oh the audience experiences it in a racist way and we can't be held accountable well I think it'll be really interesting to see how they handle next season and a various a, a very obvious example of them pitting Taylor against mm-hmm. Corinne and then how that affected Taylor and how they kind of promoted this white MAGA-ish woman. <laughs> um, I, I don't know. Like it was with Fleiss being so anti-Trump, you would wonder why he would want to exploit that type of person. Um, but he, I don't know. I, I, I'm just so interested to see if they give Taylor an apology at all, because I think it really did. I mean, people were calling to like have her license revoked. As oh, a, I know. Yeah. She couldn't work. She couldn't, yes. I mean, she's been very open about this. She couldn't work for a period of time yes. after the show because of the flood of harassment and often racist harassment. That she received. Um, I mean, no, I completely agree. And I think that that will be really telling. And I think it's, it's telling of, you know, I think as, as white people, whether you're on production side or whether you're a viewer, there's a, we have an ability as white people to compartmentalize some of these things and to say, well, our political beliefs are here, but I'm turning my brain off to enjoy this thing, or I'm turning that off because this is the way I'm going to get the biggest audience. This is the way I'm going to make the most money out of this, you know, capitalist product. And I think it's reaching a point where as white people, we're sort of seeing, well, there has to be a limit to this and there has to be a limit to our own 
complicity. Um, and when we asked Rachel, you know, kind of if she would walk away, she was very clear that, you know, not before Matt James season, because she doesn't want to give them any excuses to, to say like the ratings were bad. So I sort of like, okay, so I think, you know, take a cue from her. We'll be watching that. But I do wonder as white viewers, um, you know, what responsibility we have and, and at what point we, we also draw that line and say like, we can't support this thing that despite many people's best efforts and many people being people of color being negatively impacted by like, you know, has refused to change. And um, I don't know, it's a tough, it's a tough dance, I think. Yes. Yeah. What can you really, what can you really add to that? It's very difficult. <laughs> I mean, that's why I always feel like I'm just so disappointed in the events of the past couple of days, like him being at that huge house party in Florida because people are looking Matt, for- to be clear, Matt Jameson and oh, Tyler yeah. Cameron were <laughs> yeah. at a house party, seemed to be not wearing masks and they seem to be around a lot of people. Yes. So it's just like, they're going to look for any reason to either not cast him as The Bachelor or to go ahead and start discrediting him in any way. So, just yeah, I think that, I mean, Rachel talked about how dis- disappointed she was that the way that he was set up and rolled out as The Bachelor. And I think this is part of it is they're finally making him Bachelor in a moment when there's so much scrutiny on the show and there's so much scrutiny on the lead and the choices that they make and at a moment when there's going to just be like a lot of run-up time before he even starts the show for people to scrutinize his every action during a really difficult time when a lot of people are making choices that other people think are morally wrong like this is just a very fraught time um and that's often when someone like a, a first black person or a first woman um, is put into a position of great visibility and they're really set up to fail. And that's, again, what we see happening here. Um, so that's just another <laughs> another example of, of how the show has, has not um, taken its steps toward diversity in a positive way. Um, but hopefully um, by the time his season airs, we'll all be able to enjoy it and have the most successful season possible and see where we go from there. Um, shows, they really just do not try to protect their leads or their contestants. Like they should be giving him media training. They should be saying you should not be in any videos like this or things like that. Just so we can protect you in this instance. They don't prepare leads for kind of this. I mean, I already know he's one of the most followed people out there, but he also has to think differently about that now with the platform that he's going to have. And the show should be preparing him for that. They don't Absolutely. Care. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, and before, before we wrap up, um, I know that a lot of people want to be hearing from you about what's going on with you. I know you've had some good news recently. Um, what's going on with your life now, almost a decade out from the show? Yeah, um, so one thing that's kind of happened that um, we're pretty excited about is I found out that I'm pregnant. Yay! Yay. After 
pretty much a, a really hard year of trying after a miscarriage. Um, actually, our IUI was canceled because of COVID and we just gave up. We were just like, we are, we're maybe just going to wait until the fall just with everything that is going on. Like, I don't even know if it's safe to bring a kid into the world at this point. Um, and then, yeah, we just gave up. And then I found out <laughs> about a month ago that I was two months pregnant and had no idea. Um, <laughs> so yeah, we're excited. We also just found out it's a boy. So. <laughs> Congratulations. Yay. Thank you. Another little tiny feminist just yeah. just dating. <laughs> I'm not going to tell you that boys are the best, but they're good. Um, (laughs) It's been a lot of fun. Yeah. Max has better cheeks every time I see him over Zoom. So we're we're very excited to see little Spivey's cheeks. Yes, we are. We are so excited for you. And honestly, in, in this moment in time, I am just like grasping for good news. So it is so... (laughs) wonderful to see your face Ashley and and to hear all of this good news and like we are just sending so much love to you and Steve oh thank you so much <laughs> you know and I hope that one day given that we are all in the same city uh, that we'll be able to see each other in person again <laughs> you'll probably see me by the time I have this kid <laughs> I hope Let's so hope. And that's it for Here to Make Friends. Thanks to our guest, Ashley Spivey, and of course, our producers, Nick Offenberg and Sarah Patterson. Give us a follow on Facebook and Instagram at Here to Make Friends Pod. And you can follow us individually on Instagram and Twitter. I'm at Claire E. Fallon. And I'm at Emma Lady Rose. We'll be back next week to recap The Bachelor, the greatest seasons ever. You're probably already familiar with Vogue, you know, the publication that has given audiences an exclusive inside look at fashion and cultural moments for more than 100 years. You can expect no less from Vogue's podcast, The Run-Through with Vogue. Meet the influential people behind the scenes of fashion's greatest moments, from designers and creative directors to Vogue editors and the woman behind the infamous Vogue closet. Get inspired while listening to the creative processes of people like author Zadie Smith, fashion designer Tori Birch, and uh, recent star of the Super Bowl, Usher. Go beyond the pages of Vogue with The Run-Through, available wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Alex Schwartz. I'm Nomi Fry. I'm Vincent Cunningham, and this is Critics at Large, a New Yorker podcast for the culturally curious. Each week, we're going to talk about a big idea that's showing up across the cultural landscape, and we'll trace it through all the mediums we love. Books, movies, television, music, art. And I always want to talk about celebrity gossip, too. Of course. We hope you'll join us for new episodes each Thursday. Follow Critics at Large today, wherever you get podcasts.